accepted that Grand Theft Auto 6 is still at least a couple years away, and now Rockstar has essentially confirmed that with a revived dedication to GTA Online. Good morning, good Monday morning to you, let's get your week started right. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for March 28th, 2022. The show is in our patrons feeds bright and early every weekday morning and free on our YouTube channel for everyone else. You can find our flagship show Game Face by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. So Rockstar announced on Friday that Grand Theft Auto Online is getting a brand new subscription service called GTA Plus. And the kicker is, it's only announced for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series console. The service will cost $6 a month, and the subscription includes a bunch of random upgrades, including free cash, a better auto shop, free cosmetics, and more, though nothing truly seems groundbreaking. As I said, it launches exclusively on next gen, and it's not even coming to PC, and it launches tomorrow. Being a GTA Plus member gets you a recurring monthly GTA $500,000 direct deposit to your maze bank account, plus the opportunity to claim properties in and around Los Santos, that unlock gameplay updates you may have missed out on. There's also special vehicle upgrades, member-only discounts, and much more every single month. Here's the thing though, most of the benefits are so obscure that you'd have to have played GTA Online for a long time just to understand what any of them are. Admittedly, I've spent probably 15 hours playing GTA Online total. I have no clue what any of the bonuses are that you get for subscribing at $6 a month. But maybe you have, so here's another detail. GTA Plus members can also take advantage of special GTA Plus shark cards that provide extra bonus cash from the PlayStation Store on the PS5 or Microsoft Store. Now, a $500,000 shark card is $10 alone if you buy it separately, and you're getting one every month rolled into that $6 subscription. It's essentially making pay to win more cheap. Also, rewards will expire if you don't claim them even though you paid real money for them. So you need to go and claim your rewards every month. If you don't, they will not roll over and they will be lost for good. Now keep in mind, you also need an Xbox Live or PlayStation Plus account just to play GTA Online in the first place. Now, right now on PlayStation, GTA Online is a free download if you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber. And at first we kind of wondered why this was happening, and now we know. You're essentially paying money for a brand new subscription for a game that is a decade old, basically for the privilege of being able to buy exclusive microtransactions. Think about that for a second. But really, what set my spidey sense tingling with this announcement is that this is a huge program. This is a brand new annual subscription service to GTA Online. This thing has been around for 10 years already. Why would you do that for a 10-year-old product unless you know that 10-year-old product is going to be sticking around for a couple more years? Now, right now you're probably saying, but Shane... GTA Online is going to be a thing 
for Grand Theft Auto 6. I agree. I believe that wholeheartedly. I'm disappointed to admit that because that also means that we're probably not going to get single-player DLC for Grand Theft Auto 6, just like was the case with Grand Theft Auto 5. And I would much rather have single-player DLC than this weird, archaic, online, MMO-ish type of hangout thing. Which, to me, is what GTA Online is. Never really got into that, but a lot of people do. It has become a huge moneymaker for Rockstar Games. And so you're right. GTA Online is going to be a part of Grand Theft Auto 6. I agree with that. But I would also argue that, well, at least hope, that Rockstar would be remaking or recreating or creating a new version of GTA Online for Grand Theft Auto 6. I don't want to play GTA 6 and then just play the same old GTA Online that I've already figured out that I do not like and do not want. But that's what this announcement is basically saying. We're not going to get single-player DLC for Grand Theft Auto 6. And most likely, the same GTA Online that's out there right now is just going to be attached onto Grand Theft Auto 6 when it launches in 2024 or 2025, whenever that ends up happening. Are you cool with this? I don't think I'm alone in being disappointed that we didn't get any real DLC for GTA 5. I mean, it's been a decade. You could have done both. You could have done GTA Online and given people like me single-player DLC to play. But that never happened. And I can't see Rockstar changing course after the windfall of finances that have come its way thanks to GTA Online. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your sifts. Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin is officially the fourth lowest launch for a Final Fantasy spin-off game in Japan. Across both PS4 and PS5, the game has sold just 46,000 copies in its first week on sale. Only a couple Wii games have done worse as far as Final Fantasy spin-offs are concerned, and honestly, most of those types of games have moved to mobile at this point. So, Final Fantasy Origin, definitely an outlier in the Final Fantasy catalog at this point. Even more telling is that it sold less than half at launch of either of the Neo games. Again, this is in Japan, but Neo is Team Ninja's take on Dark Souls. And Team Ninja created Final Fantasy Origin, which also is kind of a kinder, gentler take on the Souls formula. In the UK, Final Fantasy Origin did reach number eight in the physical charts its opening week, and it was the highest ranking new game on the chart for the week, but sales were extremely low. So it doesn't look like we'll be getting another one of these, and after playing it, I can't say that I'm too upset about it. According to Bloomberg's Jason Schreier, Sony is set to unveil the new PlayStation subscription service as early as this week. Codenamed PlayStation Spartacus, it's being positioned as a competitor to Microsoft's wildly popular Game Pass service that has amassed more than 25 million subscribers, and some rumors say more than that. According to Schreier, Sony will debut Spartacus with a splashy lineup of hit games from recent years, but the new service is not expected to feature its biggest titles on the day they come out. For example, the upcoming God of War Ragnarok is unlikely to be offered on the streaming platform right away, according to Schreier sources. And until Sony does that, Spartacus will have no chance against Game Pass. The Halo TV show premiered this weekend on Paramount+, and according to Paramount, 
It is the biggest series premiere in the history of Paramount+. Plus. It knocked the prequel to Yellowstone, 1883, out of the top slot, but that's not saying much. Paramount Plus has struggled to gain much traction so far, but Paramount worked with its collection of TV networks including MTV, CBS, Comedy Central, BET, and Paramount Network to help attract viewers. And a Halo TV show trailer aired during the AFC Championship game where there were 48 million viewers. Numbers for the Halo TV show were not provided, but 1883's debut at Paramount Plus brought in almost 5 million viewers. So Halo's numbers should be higher than that. Just a friendly reminder that the show is generally receiving poor reviews from both critics and viewers. Amazon Game Studio boss Mike Frazzini has stepped down. The exec reportedly told his team he was leaving to focus on his family. An official statement from Amazon reads, quote, Our recent successes with New World and Lost Ark are the result of the long-term customer-focused vision for games he helped establish. We are very grateful for all his contributions and wish Mike the very best. However, Bloomberg's reporting on the story adds that a former Amazon Game Studios manager who wished to remain anonymous stated that because Frazzini was an internal Amazon employee without direct experience in the gaming industry, his leadership of the unit suffered. If you're not aware, Amazon's corporate structure is very flat and it likes to promote from within, which if you're a long-term Amazon employee, you're very happy about that. However, Amazon places an emphasis on company culture over expertise. Thus, the statement from a colleague stating that because Frazzini was an internal employee and had no experience in the games industry, it made it difficult to develop games. And it's no secret that both New World and Lost Ark were delayed multiple times. There were several Amazon Game Studios games that were canceled and never released at all. But that's what happens when you hire someone because they put the customer first, which is Amazon's mantra, instead of being an expert in whatever field they're working in. PlayStation has relented on Gran Turismo 7 after players have been, well, let's just say revolting. As a make good, PlayStation has decided to give players a million free credits, and this is huge, the ability to sell cars. If you don't know, the new Gran Turismo 7 is all about collecting cars and creating a livery of your favorite rides. However, it's made more difficult by the fact that when it launched, you could not sell your cars for credits, which basically turned the game into a big grind for credits so that you could keep unlocking cars. Giving players the ability to sell cars for credits will change the economy in that game drastically and for the better. Other changes that are coming, Sony is also increasing credit rewards, increasing the used and legend car selection, and more. A new update is promised in early April that will make greater moves to improve the in-game economy like increased rewards in the events in the latter half of the world circuits by approximately 100% on average. That's a lot. The addition of high rewards for clearing the circuit experience in all gold and all bronze results, an increase of rewards in online races, a total of eight new one-hour endurance race events to missions. These will also have higher reward settings. It will increase the upper limit of non-paid credits in player wallets. And beyond that, there will be more World Circuit events added, full-on endurance events, including 24-hour races, online time trials with proper payouts, and most significantly, players will be able to sell their cars, as we said. Honestly, I played Gran Turismo 7 at launch. I really did not have a lot of problems with it. Being able to sell your cars for credits, that's something that should be in the game. It's a typical overcorrection in a social media-driven world.
let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's Boss Fight, where I tackle random topics that may, or may not be, related to video games. Back in the N64 and PlayStation era, I launched a little gaming website called Street Level Gaming. It was a Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast website, and I ran it for my last two years of college from 97 to around 2000. And back then, I thoroughly believed that... Both the Nintendo 64 and Dreamcast offered games of a higher visual fidelity. And in the case of the Nintendo 64, I felt that most of the games played better on that system because every game was built with an analog stick in mind. Now that gap narrowed eventually when PlayStation finally launched a controller with an analog stick and developers started creating PlayStation games that worked with that analog stick. But for the longest time... Games looked and played better on the Nintendo 64. And back then, it was really hard to deny those two facts. So what PlayStation fans would resort to is calling Nintendo Kitty. Calling its games Kitty. Calling it a kid's toy. Calling it whatever. Anything that they could say to denote that adults play PlayStation while the little kids play the N64, they would take that angle. And whatever, I didn't really care. It was stupid console wars, just like the console wars are stupid now. They were stupid back then too, and I tend to just stay out of it. However, I would say that calling those games kitty while looking at their art style and their subject matter would probably be accurate generally. At the same time, those quote-unquote kitty games were the best-playing and the best-looking games on the market. Super Mario 64, Banjo-Kazooie, and then... Almost as a counterpunch to the kitty discussion, Rare releases Conquer's Bad Fur Day and GoldenEye. So, again, calling the Nintendo 64 library kitty is an oversimplification, but there is no denying that many of the most popular games on that platform were targeted towards younger audiences. And I rejected that back then. My take was that I would rather play Bleeding Edge games and... Storytelling in games back then was so terrible for the most part anyway that I didn't really care if the story was about a bear that had a bird in its backpack or Mario and had no story at all because the storytelling in games then was pretty awful. Things were slowly starting to change, obviously. The first Metal Gear Solid was a big moment for storytelling in games. Final Fantasy VII, though, if you go back and play that now, I think you'd probably agree with me that the story, while it has its moments, generally was pretty juvenile and weak. So I tended to gravitate towards these other games that looked better and played better because I felt like the stories in games were just terrible in general. And when I tried to get absorbed in one, I almost felt embarrassed for the industry at times. But times have changed. And this weekend, I have been playing Kirby in the Forgotten Land. And it is a good game. And we'll be talking about it tomorrow on Game Face. Tune in live at twitch.tv slash siftedgames at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. So I'm not going to talk at length about the game, but one thing that I did realize while playing is that it's a kid's game. And I feel like at this point, a lot of the defenses 
that I used to throw up for games like this aren't necessarily true anymore. It's not just kids' games that play great anymore. It's not just kids' games that look great anymore. Every genre looks good now. Every genre generally plays well now. And so this natural instinct that I had to defend what I thought were the best crafted games in the industry no longer exists. And so I have options now. I don't have to play Nintendo's games anymore to get the best playing and the best looking games. In fact, Nintendo's games at this point have fallen well behind the competition as far as visuals are concerned. Although I would argue that gameplay wise, Nintendo's games are generally on the top shelf but they used to be alone on the top shelf, and they're not anymore. And so I wouldn't say that I felt embarrassed to play the new Kirby game, but I did But I did think to myself at a couple points, what would a typical adult walking into the room while I'm playing this new Kirby game by myself think about me? And I'm not generally a person who really gives a crap about what anyone thinks of me. I have dance to my own drum from the time I was a tween and I would break dance (laughs) in front of the courthouse of this little dinky small town in the middle of nowhere. I have really have just never cared what people have thought of me and I honestly don't really care if people look at me crooked because I'm playing games that they may perceive as a kid's game but that doesn't change the fact That if an adult walked in and saw me playing the new Kirby game by myself without my son or daughter there playing with me, they would probably look at me a little funny. And I'll be honest, that's normative behavior. I don't think that those people would be out of the ordinary. I think if 10 adults walked in while I was playing that game, at least seven of them would be like, what is going on here? Why is this full-grown man playing a kid's game by himself. Now, I don't have kids. So for some of you, you have cover. You can say, oh, this is my son's game or oh, this is my daughter's game. I have no such thing. And I will say this. I am very fortunate that my wife has accepted that this is part of what I do and this is my job. But I would imagine that there are people out there probably listening to this show who have wives who would not be okay with it and would look at them strangely for playing a game like Kirby in the Forgotten Land. And while that's a shame, again, I think it's normative behavior. I think people look at these games and their first instinct is like, oh, that's cute. I should get that for Billy or Jill. Not, I should get this for my 40-something husband. How do you guys feel about this? Have you guys ever felt shame for playing a video game. And I don't mean like there's a sex scene in a game and someone walks in at the wrong time or there's nudity or there's gore in a game that's so over the top that someone saw you playing it and was offended by the gore. I mean something like this where they're like gaming is an activity for kids and here you are a full-grown adult participating in it. So how will this change my behavior going forward? It won't at all. <laughs> I'm never going to look at games like this as games that are strictly made for kids. Now, I will say Kirby is pretty egregious in that way. There's not 
a lot of adult innuendo. There's no hidden jokes in there for mom and dad to get a chuckle here and there while they're playing with their kids. It really is a kid's game. It also is extremely easy and presents very little challenge for, at least for most adults, I would guess. And so, as an adult, I can't say that I've taken away a whole lot of meaningful moments from Kirby and their Forgotten Land. Is it cute and adorable? Absolutely. Does it have its moments? Sure. But on the whole, sitting and playing this game, I do feel like a lot of the time I would rather be playing something else. Something with a little bit more of an evolved way of telling stories. A story that maybe someone over six years old could appreciate. Because let's be honest, Nintendo has got away without really including legitimate stories in its games for a really long time. Mario has yet to really include a story, although I think a lot of people are like, okay, I'm cool with that. <laughs> but Zelda, Breath of the Wild, had almost no story at all. Like, if you go back and count the cutscenes, the amount of time you spent watching cinematics in that game, it's not a lot. So Nintendo was kind of skirted by, while completely ignoring a part of game development that almost every other developer has to dedicate millions of dollars and dozens of people towards working on. Nintendo was just like, you know what? We're good. So the crazy part to me is that I have been the evangelist for the kitty game since 1996, swearing up and down that it doesn't matter. The lack of story doesn't matter, but it does matter now because stories have gotten pretty darn good in video games. Not all of them, but some of them. And the bar has been raised. And my bar has been raised. My expectations for video games have gone up significantly since the N64 and PlayStation days. In some ways, it feels like Nintendo is still living in 1996. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do and follow me on Twitter at Dinfire and follow Sifted at Sifted Games. While you're at it, head on over to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow, but until then, make sure you seize today because there will never be another.